Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Sorry about the little uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Hot, 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 oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Sorry, mate. We're going to have to start again, though. That's all right. That does sound better. Yours sounds it better, does, too. Yeah, it does. Okay, yeah. five, four, three. Well, I've, I've shut everything down here, so... Right, okay. It's much clearer. That sounds much, much better. Okay. Just hope we've got some bandwidth. G'day, viewers. Welcome to episode 147 of Radio Hot Lap, that light-hearted and zany podcast that now ranks 120 on the iTunes Music Store under Sports and Recreation. Audio. Audio. Yes. Sorry, JP. We don't Gotta have video. the audio. We don't have listeners. No, we, we don't. Have we only have viewers. That's right. <laughs> cool and emerging technologies, gadgets, and barbecues. And this week, with folks in the Middle East, following Abu Dhabi, strong coffee. Folks, you there, mate? What's going on? Hello, boys. G'day, <laughs> viewers. Yes, indeed. I'm in Bahrain. Just yesterday I was in Abu Dhabi, and now I'm in Bahrain. Not very far up the road, just an hour's flight. And the coffee, well, sorry to disappoint you, but not that strong. I'm just sitting in my hotel room, and it's just that packet instant coffee. So I don't have anything to gloat about drink-wise, unlike you two. Have you got a, have you got a hooker? <laughs> Is that the smoking <laughs> kind or the other kind? <laughs> we'll ask folks. <laughs> Neither. Ah. <laughs> Neither. Ah. No. <laughs> Nothing so unseemly. Unseemly. Very good, folks. Well, uh, folks, we're here this afternoon in sunny uh, Adelaide at uh, the world uh, headquarters of Radio Hotlap Teppanyaki Division, where your good self will be enjoying the luxuriousness in uh, a little over two weeks as uh, the, we run up Clipsal to Clipsal 500, which will be episode 149. Ooh, coming up for another big milestone, JP. And, um, we are. Should be a great time. But in the meantime, mate, what's the report from Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, the Middle East, UAE, the Qatar, and all those nations that we have very little knowledge about? The Arabian slash Persian Gulf. Oh, That's right. Tell well, oh, all... genie of afar. Well, Abu Dhabi was very interesting. That's the capital of the United Arab Emirates. And um, the whole area, of course, famous for Alibaba and the 40 Thieves from, uh, from Arabian Nights. And uh, I'm an hour's flight up the road, as it were, in Bahrain. Bahrain is an island, um, as is, in fact, Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi uh, yeah, actually is um, a group of islands, one of which, Yas Island, was where they held the big eight race in the stunning Yas Marina Formula One circuit. And JP, you're right, there's a bit of dispute on over here as to what this region is called. Is it the Arabian Gulf or the Persian Gulf? Um, the body of water between the two land masses. Um, is in an area of dispute, um, not itself, but the naming. Iran's getting a bit upset because the the form of um, seat of the Persian Empire thinks it should be called the Persian Gulf. In fact, they're threatening sanctions against the, um, 
Arab airlines who fly in promoting themselves is coming from the Arabian Gulf. They want it to be known as the Persian Gulf. So, as usual, there's always some point of friction in this part of the world. But as I say, all's quiet at the moment. And in fact, Abu Dhabi and certainly here in Bahrain, I've never felt uncomfortable um, in this area at all. It's uh, very peaceful. And the people are actually, I have to say, unfailingly um, pleasant, uh, very polite. They uh, make us feel very welcome here. So the V8 fraternity have been to Abu Dhabi. Um, Team Vodafone has, uh, well, they came, they conquered, they went, and they're looking set to do that again in Bahrain. Abu Dhabi was uh, very spectacular, that Yas Marina circuit, about a billion dollars worth uh, Looked glorious under lights. We had the semi-night racing and the V8s looked pretty spectacular as well. So uh, first reports, pretty good. I believe so, JP. Yes, so we'll just load them up and uh, take the short flight, the short hop into Bahrain, unload them, probably doing that today, and take them out to the Bahrain International Circuit. And they'll be all ready to go on Thursday for the first practice for the second event of the V8 Supercar Championship Series 2010. It's a pretty well old machine now. Flyaways um, are not much of a problem for the V8 supercar circus. Um, they can dive in and out of places pretty quickly. So I think we'll see more international races uh, coming up on the calendar in the next few years. And uh, next cab off the rank, I'm pretty sure, is going to be Singapore. And that'll be a doddle. They could probably zoom in and out of there, maybe dash in on the Thursday and um, you know zoom out on the Monday, possibly a time frame that small. What did you think of the racing overall, mate? Um, it was a bit unfortunate that... You know, um, with the timing, you know, I, I went to autosport.com and, um, you know, they're glaring with the results without me having to um, you know, even, you know, blink. You know, it's funny how your eye just sort of zooms in on it. Um, nonetheless, I, I watched the, the, the television coverage and I thought it was um, it was good. What was it like from, the you know, your point of view? On the ground. Well, I gather the reports back from Australia is the... TV audiences at the delayed telecast both on Saturday and Sunday weren't great um, so there might be a bit of a rethink um, up at uh, V8 Supercar headquarters in Narang on the Gold Coast uh, last time around over here they ran the races live in the wee small hours of the morning and then you know did some highlights and if you wanted to watch it live you could this time there wasn't that option and uh, the thinking at V8 Supercars was that people would be in the habit of watching Saturday, Sunday, and they'd all come in their droves to watch it. Well, the reports from the Oztam figures indicate that wasn't so. So uh, not, only have they, not only have they annoyed the hardcore V8 fans by starting the series um, uh, overseas for the very first time, but the timing doesn't seem to have captured people's imagination. As for the reception here, well, the crowd wasn't huge by Australian standards, very small, but it wasn't bad. They claimed um, just over 12,000 for the two days, only the Friday and the Saturday, that's the Middle Eastern weekend, um, were spectators um, able to get in. The Thursday practice wasn't open to the public. And um, that's about a third up, I guess, or a quarter up on the uh, 
pre-meet estimates of the uh, Yas Marina circuit organisers. They were hoping to get around six to 8,000 over the two days. Um, they claim they got just over 12,000, and um, that's a pretty good result um, given that the V8 Supercar Series has no profile over here whatsoever. And compared with the um, minuscule crowds that we got at the Bahrain International Circuit in the previous three years they ran here, um, it was a pretty good result, something to build on. It's never going to be a big show over here, but um, that's not the agenda. The agenda for both Bahrain and Abu Dhabi, their um, showcase circuits here, both um, worth at least several hundred million dollars, is to uh, publicise um, Abu Dhabi and Bahrain respectively to the to the world. And um, part of the reason the V8s were running at Abu Dhabi on the weekend was to get Abu Dhabi exposure out in the Australasian market. So it's a bigger agenda they run to here. It's not so much about economics, but uh, it's about positioning and branding. Yeah, I noticed that um, the uh, CEO of the Yas Marina, Richard Cregan, uh, said it was vital that Abu Dhabi uh, got the V8 supercars because it ranks only behind Formula One on a global motorsport level and that, yes, they were really pushing to try and get more Australasian tourists out there and they're looking to um, promote tourism as sort of second to their oil wealth or whatever because obviously the oil is going to run out eventually. So uh, tourism is obviously seen as a as a big deal. Um, certainly... From what I saw on the TV, the, the, the coverage was very, very good. And the delayed telecast thing, yeah, I think it fell in a hole because everybody's just so internet savvy now that, like me, uh, as soon as they knew the results were up, they were checking them online and then it was like, well, do I need to watch the whole thing on TV? Well, you know, look, we're, we're like VA Central, uh, where they get around something like that. And, of course, I'm sure many of the other the, the, the online services provide that as well. It actually gives spoiler-free... Um, information and sort of it's almost like like they used to do on Channel Nine, you know, with the Grand Prix. Well, if you want to if you want to watch the Grand Prix later, look away now because we're going to yeah. give you the results on the news. It's a bit difficult because everyone wants to be the first to deliver the stuff. It's just it's my own fault, you know. I mean, or you go to Autosport because you want the latest news and you can't blame them for it. But uh, yeah, so be it. I don't know. Just took a little bit out of it. Um, so in 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 fairness, in face, like, I suppose. When people say, well, there weren't many fans there, that is a massive complex. And um, you're never going to be able to fill up all those stands. And it, 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 to some uh, television pictures, it would have looked relatively empty. And what I thought, what I saw, I thought it was, was, was more than rent a crowd. It was a, a passionate group of people that were really supporting the event. And, uh, and I think that, that, that that's really great. So I, I hope it keeps going on. You're quite right. Unless you absolutely fill those big grandstands, the place is going to look, always going to look empty. Apparently at the Abu Dhabi Formula One Grand Prix um, back last November, the first uh, big meeting there, it was full. They had 50,000 there. I think there's a lot more potential to get interest in motorsport generally and V8s in particular in Abu Dhabi in that area because just a bit more sophisticated in their sporting tastes and everything down there than, say, Bahrain, you know, because generally speaking, I would say that, you know, if you look at Bahrain and you look at Abu Dhabi and Dubai, Bahrain, which is embarking on a, you know, an expansion and a new building program, it, but it looks to be about 20 years behind what's happening in the UAE. Um, so it's more difficult here. Um, there are a lot of expats um, down in the UAE that they can build interest on. And, you know, as we go down the road, 
you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, they'll build interest in motorsport among um, the, the local people. But it's a long, long road, and they know that. And, JP, just getting back to your comments about that interview with Richard Cregan where he said that they established that V8 Supercars was number two to Formula One globally, um, that came out of a joint interview I did with Cregan, and I'm not quite sure what he meant. Um <laughs> He didn't explain it too well. Um, as near as I can, because it just doesn't stack up, I'm sorry. You know, V8 Supercars is not number two to Formula One in, in terms of global motorsport. What I think he was trying to say was they looked around, they looked at all sorts of series, IndyCars, GP2, Super GT in Japan, GT Racing. What they decided was that in its local area, in Australasia, V8 Supercars was by far the biggest motorsport. Well, that's a no-brainer. So in terms of um, local reach, you know, um, in their own area, in their own region, they decided that V8 Supercars was number two to Formula One. And, you know, I think that's what he meant. It didn't come across like that, but I think that's what he meant because by any other measure, it, it, it just doesn't stack up, I'm afraid. Um, so, but, you know, Richard Cregan was very happy with the result. Um, he's very keen about the V8 Supercars and... Um, from what I saw at the track and watching pretty much the same pictures I guess you got back there, the cars, the V8s certainly look spectacular under lights and that just underlines what I've always felt, that motor racing looks spectacular um, at night time, you know, even if the track is really well lit up so it's like day. There's just something special about it. I mean, a good example is that when they switched to uh, uh, E85 fuel last year, one of the things that went away with that was the... Flying. Was the uh, flames belching out of the exhaust you know which used to be spectacular but not seen as being very green or appropriate funnily enough in the night um several of the cars you could actually see well blue blue flames belching out of the exhaust yes i saw that on the tv coverage and they were very blue yeah they they were and in fact that was one of my uh, next questions and it almost looked like a uh, like methylated spirits mm. uh being being you know on a, on a little or on a or kerosene on a little Sort of heater in the house. It sort of had a, a really nice ambience to it. And I was going to ask you, uh, is, is that uh, a byproduct of the uh, low light, or something in more in the atmosphere that happens to, in that part of the world? I mean, it's probably hard to know having a little frame of reference on it. But um, you know, is it fair? I had the feeling that that there's some people had been saying in the telecast that there was different ambient conditions there and certainly there's you know like there's aurora borealis in the northern uh, in the northern hemisphere you know up past the arctic circle uh, maybe there are other you know, atmospheric conditions because it's nighttime that actually brings that along. beautifully said jp <laughs> thank you yeah yeah that's all a good theory guys um a for no. effort <laughs> but we're totally wrong it's <laughs> z for result um I think I believe it's the case that because you know it's it's an alcohol fuel, it's ethanol, but it's a kind of alcohol fuel, and um, alcohol fuels like methanol, which they traditionally have used in IndyCar racing, um, in the daylight is basically the the flame is invisible, which is why you see sometimes when there's a fire, at, you know, in the pits of the Indy 500, you see people jumping up and down, looking like they're crazy because you can't actually see the the flame although it's less volatile than petrol, which is why they switched to it in IndyCar racing. Um, when it does ignite, um, it's very difficult to see in daylight. But in, in sort of certain nighttime conditions, um, you can see a sort of, as you said, you know, a blue 
blue flame a bit like you get on a simple Bunsen burner. So, um, sorry to burst your balloon there. I don't think it's due to atmospheric conditions. I think it's just the nature of the, the fuel and the way it burns. Uh, okay, mate, quick race analysis and uh, star driver of the weekend, Arama. Well, it was a total triumph, of course, for Team Vodafone. You know, Triple Eight race engineering switch from Ford to Holden. Um, essentially, they didn't skip a beat. Um, they, they've, they've nailed it. Jamie Wincup um, is still a man at the top of his game, but Craig Lance was competitive as well. Um, I think they were helped a bit by the fact that um, it was an absolute debacle for Holden Racing Team. They just couldn't take a trick. How can, how can that? How can that just be? How? What the hell's going on there? Well, I don't think it's a lack of speed, certainly not in Garth Tander's case. He had the speed, um, but he had to go from you know second on the grid back to the rear for the first race um, as a penalty for a pit lane, uh, a ridiculous pit lane infringement in practice. Yes. Very simply what happened was that, you know, pulled the car into the pits, popped it up on the um, onboard jacks, one of the, the legs happened to, you know, poke into a big um, silicon join expansion in the uh, pit yep, lane yep. concrete, an expansion joint, yeah, a particularly wide one. The thing sunk in there, stuck. They couldn't retract it because it's like stuck in quicksand almost. Um, so they had to get a, you know, a trolley jack to lift the car out, and that's against the rules because you can't lift the jack the car up on it on a, a, you know, a, basically a non-compressible jack, you know, it has... Um, oh, folks, we're losing you. Folks. Totally. We've, we've lost folks. Folks is gone. Folks has faded folks away. in Bahrain has faded. For the viewers who saw the telecast... Uh, we'll just wait for a sec and rest, reconnect. Hang on. Okay, we're back running again. Yep. Yeah, JP, like, we reconnect to the Fogwar. Um, you had some ideas there. Well, yeah, I mean, I just said that the Cromley did a particularly good um, little recap of that on the Sunday uh, where he actually got the jacks in the, uh, in, in the Holden pit um, and, um, and showed you exactly what had happened and how the uh, jack had sunk in the, in the silicon. Yeah, uh, I thought it was OK. I, I thought it was, was, it was a good race to some extent and, and, and you know, the, the Channel 7 crew did a good job of telling a story and... And so on like that. I don't know what's going on there. There's obviously a, uh, a plain greeting. Look at that. We can't get a... Hi. Sorry I can't take your call right now, but <laughs> if you leave your name, your number, the time of your call and any message, I'll get back to you just as soon as possible. Thanks for calling. <laughs> well, you know, you don't get Folks, that. that was so bright and zappy. Uh, uh, folks, um, hi. This is uh, episode 147 of Radio Hot Lab. You know that episode that doesn't edit? Um, That's right. Could you... Um, Possibly edit and come back to us. And um, reconnect. It'd be nice. ASAP. Do you think that they've found out about him? And they, you know, yeah, but he's not. He's only drinking coffee. He's not drinking alcohol. Well, he was talking about it. Well, talking about it's one thing. He's bad. Oh, well. Okay. We'll have to. We'll get, let's move on, JP. We will. We'll try and get him back because in I do want to talk to him about a couple of things to get his uh, learned opinion about a, 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 a couple of things, mate. Um. Where are we going to start? Well, Marco Andretti is moving. Well, he's not moving, but he's going to be the third Andretti 
in the line of Andretti's. Unbelievable. To uh, Le Mans 24 Hour joining the Rebellion uh, LMP1 Lola team, formerly known as Speedy Seabar, with Neil Jarney, a Formula One refugee, and Nicholas Prost, a Formula One wannabe. Or this... maybe not. Maybe his father's talked him out of it. Um, Andretti had, had actually done three races in the ALMS Championship um, with um, Acura. Acura in an LMP2 um, in 2008. Uh, he'll be testing the car for the first time at Paul Ricard, the official test day, March 7 to 8. Uh, the second car, Jean Christophe Bouillon. Bouillon? Or, or is it Bouillon? It's Bouillon. Well, because yeah. what is French for stock? Yeah. Bouillon. Yeah. <laughs> Bouillons. Guy Smith and Andrea Bellicelli. Bellicelli? He's be singing his way all the way onto the grid. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we'll get some opinions on this with Foguar later when he when he bothers to re- reconnect. Got a very weird so. icon there. I've never seen that before, but anyway. Um, Formula One, mate, there's been some slips sort of in time schedules with the newcomers, specifically uh, Worth, or yes. rather the Virgin Formula One team. Uh, at Jerez, they had nothing, no end of hydraulic problems, and uh, now they've had to spend all their energy getting that sorted. Um, before they go to the Barcelona test, where they were effectively going to use that test to do aero. Now, it's going to be you know, getting All the hydraulic stuff yep. working, and apparently there were some problems with the hydraulic parts. Uh, uh, hello, Rusty Sausage. Over there, lounging out down there on a yeah, lovely summer evening. Um, and now at our bar, <coughs> the opening round, pretty much where folks is now, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be doing the, the introducing the aero uh, products uh of their cars pretty much untested so uh, usf1 uh yeah what's happening there well it's mm. a bit hard to know but they have asked the fia for special dispensation to miss the first four races of the year and uh, it's mm, interesting that, there's smelly, some funding going on first, there there's some funding on there uh funding there by uh, one of the uh, founders from of youtube and i was i'm, I'm reading between the lines there that, uh, and this sounds like a real like PR marketing uh, speak, that uh, there'd been some rumours that Peter Windsor, the Australian who had been doing uh, F1 commentary, was no longer involved with the team. But then when asked uh, the, the, the Blake, I think it's Hurley's his name or something, from, I don't know, maybe wrong, from, uh, who was one of the YouTube founders, who obviously sucks some money out of, uh, out of Google on that, um, he said, I, I don't know what Peter's up to, but it'll sure it'll be made uh, clear soon. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, mm-hmm. meaning okay. YouTube. And uh, and the last bit, which is a bit, a bit worrying for me, and this is definitely where I want to get folks involved, because he will um, want to know, and perhaps uh, Mix Academy, being a Serbian team, the, the Stefan Grand Prix, they've had to cancel their Portimao test in, uh, in, um, in Portugal, Algarve, uh, failing to secure tyres. Uh, suitable to be able. Well, the reason yeah. is that Bridgestone has said, "Look, we're only contracted to supply tyres to teams that have an official entry in the championship, but nor, nor could they supply any GP2 rubber." So I'm sort of going, "Look, hang on a minute. Like, is FIA, is the FIA or Bernie? I mean, are Bernie working against them? Are they, are they making life difficult for these guys? I mean, how hard is it to make a, a start in F in F1?" Well, it doesn't sound very good to me. And sharks, folks, is making sharks. <laughs> it's rumoured to be coming back uh, with um, with Nakajima. 
to do that? Wait, what are your thoughts on that? Well, while I, I get, try and get Fogs on the line? Well, you try and get Fogs on the line. Look, I, I don't know. I, you have to wonder whether, because of the debacle at the end of last season and the rewriting of the rules and everything else, whether these teams that have been allowed in were actually a lot more ill-prepared than we thought they were. And it's just taken them a lot longer to get up and running. I mean, as far as the USF teams going, F1's teams going, I, four races, I thought, was rather a lot. I could understand them maybe missing the first two, um, especially when they're flyaway events. Um, but four was uh, very, very strange. Yes, sorry about tapping the microphone there, viewers. Just had to make sure everything's working right, you know. Don't edit we don't make apologies and we're not very mechanically clever. Now, the Lotus, uh, Lotus team have uh, car looks good. They've had their official opening. Yeah, and the car looks spectacular because it's oh. uh, back to British racing green. Dogs is having a sniff. Oh, Dogs is having a very vicious sniff with the tail wagging. Um, yeah, so I thought it looked great. It was great to see a green Lotus with yellow trim, a la the old original Colin Chapman uh, days with Jim Clark and, uh, and and Graham Hill, so um, it's quite a pretty looking car. I'm not sure how it'll go once it's got sponsor stickers all over it, but certainly it looked very pretty in the uh, in the launch photos. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's a bunch of interesting stuff going on there. So um, hopefully, folks will get back on the line shortly, and we'll be able to have a talk. Yeah, what else do I have to say about all that? That's really disappointing. Uh, um, Citroen Citroen are bringing out a car in Australia, they're actually building a thousand worldwide, a few are going to come here and it's a, a bit of a, a, a S2, as I get it, an S2000 category uh, road special called uh, the DS3 18 inch wheels uh, 147 kilowatts, 285 newton metres and lots of orange bodywork, which orange. is actually not just colour but sort of composite materials Oh. Oh. We've got someone. It's funny you should say that. It's the Danish driver who has a fussy diet. Ah! Mr. Simonson. Yo. Oh. How are you doing? Is it working now? Yeah, it's working. You're on the air. <laughs> you can't say, is it working now? <laughs> Alan Simonson, welcome to Radio Hotlap. Are we doing, boys? Yeah, we're doing good, mate. Uh, look, uh, uh, mate, I'm really sorry about um, uh, having to cook your meals, especially last weekend, uh, or the weekend before at, um, at, at Bathurst, you know, and, 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 and not getting up early enough to grind your toenails before you'd woken. I hope you'll forgive me. Uh, look, you know, when you when you turned your bum to my side, that was uh, all the forgiveness I needed. <laughs> you can't be saying that. I can't be asked. <laughs> what, do, they, do the viewers not know you're gay in that? <laughs> Mate, I've got every lesson from you. <laughs> right. Oh, that, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I think geez. his nipples are healing up, though, Al. Right, the deal. <laughs> Stop it! Uh, you, do you want to tell, do you want to tell the viewers that story? Uh, what about you having four nipples? <laughs> Stop it! Look, um, are we getting bad bad signal from him as well? I think we are. I think he's fading. Are you there? Yes. Yes, I'm here. All right. 
I don't know. So you might have to bring your voice up a bit. We don't know. What there's, well, there's, there's some irregularities with the internet going on here. But Alan, um, uh, now you've gone back to a nice uh, cold climate. Sorry about that as we sit out the back here at uh, Teppanyaki Central, which you're well used to. <laughs> and the lovely yeah. Shiraz and the dogs in the garden, everything like that. Mate, um, I just thought uh, we'll get your thoughts on a couple of things. Um, firstly, this year it appears there is an enormous shift around the globe in uh, sports car racing to GT2 category. Um, we're seeing uh, LMP1 disappearing virtually. Um, well, there's only one or two cars, I think, in the American Le Mans series. Uh, the major manufacturers are making uh, only a token appearance for key races in the European Championship. We don't know what's going on in Asia. There are new rules, I think, coming up in 2011. But is that enough? Um, is that enough of a reason for these guys to abandon the championship when new rules are coming up, especially when their manufacturer are based in... And what do you make of this huge resurgence uh, in GT2, GT2, which is certainly putting, you know, putting the onus uh, on on that category? And it, it really, it is the category to watch. Now that was a lot of questions, um, and I think I think it can be answered pretty um, pretty quickly. Really, uh, it all comes down to cost. You know, the cost of running those LMP projects are too extreme. And with the GT2, it's a much more um, easy formula for the manufacturers to follow. So that's why, um, that's basically why it's so healthy. And basically, it's it's very easy for them to relate to, to the production-based cars and, and hence why they, um, they, be, they go from strength to strength. I think they have probably... Um, uh, gained from the uh, um, from the fact that the um, the GT1 cars um, had a bit of a, a, a step back in this process of Stefan Rattel making it into a new Formula GT1 car, um, and 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 in this process, you've obviously lost a fair few teams who is who is sort of standing back, saying, "Well, hey, is this new GT1 championship going to work?" Um, and until it's proven that it will work. Um, you know, a lot of the teams have have, have referred back to 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 GT2, um, and um, with BMW and and Corvette and and very strong teams coming in, um, you know, it 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 will be very strong. Um, Jaguar as well, um, and it's good for us. Um, I've never seen an entry list this strong in GT2 ever before. Um, the only problem, as I see it, is that when you go to these Le Mans races, all the attentions are still on the LMP cars, and and from a from a spectator's point of view, it's, it, if you're watching it on TV, you're still going to miss a lot of the GT2 action, which undoubtedly is is where the best racing is going to be this year. What do you think of uh, the return of Jaguar um, and BMW, and I think Ford? as well with their GD40. You have raced against the GD40 in uh, in the British GT uh, Championship in the GD3 specification, uh, not only in Britain but in the European circuit, so you have a bit of an understanding about how these cars will flow on a circuit like Spa. Yeah, I mean, um, the, um, the, the cars are strong, um, but they... Also, they turn up with very strong driver lineups. Uh, most of the teams are supported by tyre manufacturers as well, uh, which is where you're going to get the strong competition from. Um, 
I don't think there's any tracks that's going to suit either cars more. Um, you know, we uh, we've seen over the uh, the years with all the new cars coming in that you know whichever car is strong on one track, it will it will be more or less strong on any of the other tracks as well. Um, but for sure, for sure, you'll see BMW and I mean, if you're talking at Le Mans in particular, you'd see Corvette and, and BMW be extremely strong. I'm sure about that. It it must be a little bit. Um I don't know if disconcerting is the word, but you're um, with a works team that uh, are pioneering the development of a, uh, of a Korean tyre, going up against the, the likes of the, the brand names, you know, the, the stalwarts, the people that have won Le Mans year and year again, year after year, Dunlop and, and Michelin. How, how is that for you? Obviously, the development curve has been strong and you're getting better and better and better. But um, is that an, a sort of an awkward issue for you in the back of your mind? Um, you know, Hancock only came onto the racing scene uh, in 2003 and started their development from then on. And... Um, if you have, if you look at, at, at manufacturers like Michelin and, and Dunlop, which is our main opposition, you know they've been at it for tens and tens and tens of years of, of high-level motorsport. So yeah, it is an uphill battle. But you know, last year we did have some success, um, and we'll see how we go. I mean, our testing program is pretty intense, and uh, it's it's going well so far. But we're not going to kid ourselves and think that we can just go out and and slam everyone especially not with the with with the up competition but um you got to remember from a driver's point of view that there is probably um a thousand drivers out there who hasn't got a job um so to be associated with a manufacturer is a huge step forward for me and uh, it's something it's a challenge that i'm really looking forward to and i'm very sure that if they continue the effort that they're putting into it now which i know they will um you know we will we'll have a very strong pop uh, package. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Alan, and uh, it, it, it's important for uh, the viewers to realise that you know, it's like Formula One that even if you last, that doesn't mean you're a bad driver, they're all brilliant drivers, they got there, you know, through merit and skill, and and the same is going to be in, in GT2, it's just such a, a heavily competitive environment um, and um, but I, I have a feeling this is going to be the, one of the greatest years for uh, GT racing around the world, and uh, I really hope you're going to do well, and I'm sure you will. Um, I'm just going to um, I'm just going to uh, uh, try and do a start start a conference here with Mark Fogarty as well. So just just bear with me with the technical difficulties, viewers, and and you too, Alan. Yes, no problem. Folks, you're back. Alan, can you I'm hear back. everyone? Yes, I can. Hi, Mike. How are you going? Hey, Al. How are you? I'm very good, mate. Well, now that I've got the most two the most difficult uh, 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 feeders, feeders <laughs> that need their individual meals. <coughs> Eat, oh, eaters, you mean? Or should I say the the most um, invisible when it comes to cooking and washing up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Pay that one. Hey, we leave Very it funny. to the expert, don't we, Alan? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. 
Well, good to see both of you at uh, at Bathurst 24 Hour. Look, I was just uh, well, folks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, it was. <laughs> you, it seemed you, like 24 You weren't hours. in the kitchen. It seemed like 24 hours. <laughs> I was in the kitchen. Um, right, I thought so. it was about the 72 hours by the time I left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 72 hours of trying to get your wallet open. <laughs> I like that. I like the comment that there was someone oh, paying no. out on Mark on, on Mark's gaffe about he had, Did you see that on the on, on the, the show there yeah, that on, uh, um, Larkham has gone? You know the funny thing about Abu Dhabi here is that there's no bugs or anything around. The cars come in perfectly clean, and the, and the whole TV crew had sort of had bitten on that. And he said, "Listen." Uh, Scafey, why don't you open your wallet and let a few moths out to make it look a little bit normal? <laughs> um, Alan, you're going drifting. What's going on there, son? Um, just a bit of a an add-on, you know. Um, just to try and open up the, um, uh, what would you say, the repertoire? I, th- I think we need. I think, I think we need to bring something else into into the uh, <laughs> into the proposition. And it's basically just to have something to entertain our sponsors and friends and stuff with, um, and really give them a bit of a a good experience. And we plan is to run the car in the Scandinavian Drift Championship. And depending on which sponsors we we get on board, um, at the moment we're sort of. 50-60% there um, we might run the car in every event uh, which means that uh, we'll put another driver in the car because um, it's a very limited program that I can participate in myself but the car is there and um, and the team is, 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 is there so um, that's basically uh, that's basically what it is, it's it's nothing nothing would you say um, too professional it's basically just um, just to have a bit of a, a laugh and, and, and basically just to to uh, be able to have a tool that we can entertain uh, our sponsors with. I think it's a great idea, mate. Uh, you bought a, is it an S20 Nissan? Is that, is that correct? S15. S15, S15 is, is rated as the, as the best drift car. Um, and uh, we got the car from, uh, from England. Um, it's, uh, it's been used as a show car. It, it, looks, it looks the part, which is important in, in, in drifting. Uh, because a lot of the guys who support it and, and come out and watch those things, you know, they they actually look at, at what the car looks like uh, as much as they do, and, and if the people can 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 drive it. Um, so, um, moment, uh, it's full of snow up here in Denmark, so we haven't actually taken the car out yet. But uh, within the next sort of month, uh, we should uh, we should have the last sponsors in place, and and, uh, and we'll get out there. Good. So it's a bit chilly over there, Al. Bit chilly, yeah. Uh, about minus five, so uh, yeah. <laughs> minus five. We're about <laughs> twenty-three here. You'll be pleased to hear, folks. What is it over there? Uh, uh, JP, it's about the same. I would um, suggest, yeah, certainly mid twenties. Hey, um, that's interesting that uh, Alan's going drifting. I can see a new career opportunity opening up there with all that sideways action. Um, he could become the new Stig. <laughs> Not another. <laughs> he, he could join <laughs> such. You know, August gentleman as Ben Collins, allegedly. That, that's right. Yeah, I mean, 
Um, it was actually funny. I was watching a, a program the other day, uh, and, and really old, old Top Gear, where um, I think it was probably f- six or seven years old. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it. It's where the uh, the little bloke uh, goes uh, two CV racing at Snetterton. He does a, a, a Citroen two CV race, a twenty four hour race at Snetterton. Has anyone seen that? No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Must be an old one. No, but it, it's it's Richard pretty Hammond. old, but. Yeah, Hammond. Yeah. They, that's him. Yes, that's Hammond. Now they've shot themselves <laughs> the a little bit in the foot there, the uh, the old uh, Top Gear crew, because actually in that car and on the the main screen, the the co-driver in that car is Ben Collins, and he's introduced as a racing driver on the show. But there's a full-on picture on him, and um, and basically all the denial and stuff that they've had there is is basically all confirmed in this episode. So um, there we go. Absolutely. Mm, well, you could be the next one, Alan. Shopping up your sideways skills and uh, doing auditions. Yeah. And, uh, maybe, <laughs> and who knows, you could become the James Bond stand, stunt standing in the driving as well. But, Al, it's actually starting to get trendy to do a bit of WRC stuff, if you've noticed. Like, and uh, you're pretty handy with tarmac, really. What about a little bit of a, like a Citroen sort of uh, S2000 car up there in the northern neck of the woods? I would. I would love to do that, but I have also heard the budgets, budgets that those boys are out trying to require, so uh, I, I think uh, that we'll probably have to give that a miss, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, even obviously, even, even Kimi Raikkonen has, has paid for his drive this year, so um, yeah, it's not easy. I, I can imagine. I mean, you, you can't take the Jack Ellsgood approach of, I can't afford to smash it. <laughs> <laughs> no, especially not going uh, WRC racing. And you reckon that Kimi's actually paying for the ride, Alan? He's, they, they've definitely paid for the ride. He hasn't paid it personally. Red Bull's gone oh. in and paid it for him to, to Citroen. But uh, that's why you also see there's no Citroen um, uh, ads on his, on his carb. Yep. Ah, right. Mm. The colours are there. Right, uh, Anthony Davison. So Davison's got the gig with... Um, with uh, Peugeot in the 908 for Le Mans, um, and uh, and Loeb's been given the flick. Probably, I think you know his his uh, his duties in WRC uh, are too high. It's just um, it's good to see him get a, a drive back because he's he's been one of those talents that's sort of been hiding in the bushes. I suppose it's it, 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 it's good to see. I race cars. I raced karts against him since uh, since '93, and I actually took over one of his drives back in '95 at Killard and uh, for for a factory over there. And he has always been a star in anything he has ever uh, driven in. He's a very very good driver, and uh, he did drive for for Aston Martin last year at uh, at Le Mans. So uh, it's not new to him the prototype business. Uh, so to see him in the Peugeot is is not coming strange for anyone. I mean, um, I would think it would be more strange if they didn't grab him. Uh, he's a great driver and uh, he's got good experience so I'm sure that will be um, that will be a hard uh, hard car to beat I'm sure um, Al you've seen the uh, the shots I don't know coming out of uh, Sebring of the Patron Ferrari uh, that uh, uh, Scott Sharp has, uh, has launched with his new team Extreme Speed Motorsports looks pretty sharp um, well sorry no pun intended Looks really, really good, and um, I honestly, no, honestly, I swear, oh, I didn't mean to do that. that was but bad. Um, that was bad. It, 
JP. And Dominic's over there, your co-driver in uh, the Le Mans series. But there's some reference on Daily Sports Car, uh, dailysportscar.com, a very worthwhile £35 per year subscription for all the inside stories for sports car racing of wide-bodied Porsches and wide-bodied Ferraris. Can you give me a bit of a hint on that? Is there some uh, regulation change there that's allowing some sort of bodywork changes? Oh, it's basically just that uh, what's happened is uh, last year Porsche came out with um, Porsche came out with um, with the GT2 car running on GT1 tires, which is something that you're allowed to do if you take a weight penalty. So you can you can up the tire size, um, and they gained quite substantially from it last year. Porsche and 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 that's basically just the path that Ferrari is following now this year. They've, so they've basically got their 300 wide front tires and 330 at the rear. So it's quite a, a very big tyre and uh, obviously that won't fit onto the car unless you widen the guards and that's why you see the Ferrari this year with flared guards which actually looks pretty cool so uh, makes it look a bit more tough. Yeah they, they certainly uh, do look tough and um, and the the shot of the um, <coughs> the new Jaguar uh, it looks like a bit of a Trans Am car as much as what uh, Daily Sports Car had said and, and credit to Daily Sports Car where Duke for bringing that uh, that information to us. <laughs> they also pointed out to say that the uh, the Black Swan Porsche was one of the old uh, uh, Farnbacher Lowell's cars, perhaps one that you had driven yourself last year um, in um, in the uh, the Daytona race. I'm not sure what the variation change between the GA cars and the and the, the GD2 spec cars are, but <laughs> rather than paint it, they just wrapped it in vinyl. Everybody's got a black and green car. That's a pretty big difference in in the Grand Am cars and the GT2 cars. Actually, a pretty huge difference. Um, but now it'll be interesting to see how they go. Obviously, strong competition from Rissi, and they are brand new team. And I think they'll probably take over from where Tuttle left. You know, I think they'll be um, just just below the the pace of Rissi. I don't think. And you can see also on the first two sessions that they're sort of lacking a good second to the others. And I think that's probably what what you'll find uh, continuously up through the uh, up through the race. Uh, but as anyone know, 12 hours is a long way. So uh, you know, for a result, I'm sure uh, they, they'll do a good job. But for outright pace, I still think Rissi uh, Rissi's got what it takes. Uh, folks, you'll be interested in this, and, and probably you can engage Al a little bit on this subject. But um, uh, he, Al's recently been in Nardo testing uh, in the uh, very secret. It's just so secret we can't even talk about. It. But um, right, what's so it like shut up going then. to Nardo? Talking to Alan, or are you you asking me or Al? I don't know anyone who wants to talk about it. Alan's, see, it's so secret. Well, he's been there, so he should talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I can tell what Nardo is. Nardo is a test track in the in the south of Italy, which um, which most manufacturers use. Uh, When we were there, Ferrari were there, Audi were there, uh, Opel were there, uh, and basically they use this uh, test facility, which is very much hidden and very hard to find, but an enormous place. 
Um, they use it to, to test all the new cars um, and, uh, you know, phones and, 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 and cameras and all of this kind of stuff is banned in there, um, obviously because so many new models were there. And um, it's just a really, really good place. It's the first time I've ever been there, but the track was fast, was very good because it was it was a, a good high-speed track, which, um, which was very hard on our tyres, which is basically what we're there testing for. It's a, um, as I understand it, uh, and folks, I think you have done a lot more research about this because you're more in tune with perhaps some of the road car products. This is the place where the Bugatti um, Veyron achieved yep. the 400 kilometre an the hour Jag. plus um, when the, uh, run there. I think that's where the Jag originally broke the uh, broke the old record before the Bugatti came along. A uh, effectively a five lane banked circular totally circular um, circuit with uh, varying degrees of banking which creates obviously different abilities of different levels of downforce and the ability to be able to different speeds um, what do you guys know about all this because it's all a bit secret but you can go and if you go to Nardo on Google Maps you can have a look down and you'll, you'll see what's going on well it's basically a, you know a version of what Holden and Ford use at Lang Lang and the Yu Yangs respectively it's a huge proving ground so it's Lang Lang or Yu Yangs on ultra steroids um, they've both got well certainly Holden's got a circular speed track but you know it's tiny compared with the one at Nardo which is made for the big big speeds and as you said manufacturers like Bugatti and in former days Jaguar go there and uh, try to VMAX their latest supercars and get the uh, top speed Although sometimes you run into the problem because it's a bank oval, and it's very, even though it's very fast, sometimes you know not quite able to get the ultimate top speed of a uh, of a car because you're getting a, a bit of tire throw through the turn, even though it's gradual the turn and it's heavily banked. But unless you're getting a bit of scrub, so um, there's nothing like finding you know about 20 miles of a straight road or something, 30 kilometres worth. But that's not easy to do so a place like Nardo is where manufacturers of all kinds go and um, but I think Alan you were actually on the speedboat were you you were on um, I guess you know some sort of road course in the middle is that right yeah I mean there's a there's a very very big track right in the middle of where, where uh, I think it was about 6.5 kilometers long uh, so yeah no we need, didn't go anywhere near the the speedboat I mean from what I heard about the speedball, they said you can, uh, you know, you can drive um, around it at, at over 200 kilometres an hour and not even have to touch the steering wheel. So, I mean, it would obviously make no no sense for us to drive around there. Um, um, but uh, no, it, it was quite. I mean, even though we were there and we were in the complex, we didn't actually see the speedball. That's how secret this place is. <laughs> Unreal. A yeah. little, uh, a funny story has uh, come out of uh, from the American Le Mans series. Uh, at Sebring's winter test, and uh, you know, it's Scott Atherton, who's uh, the uh, the man behind the name, uh, looking after the event on behalf of uh, Don Panos, who owns it. And they have signed not a beer manufacturer, not a, a tent manufacturer or a barbecue manufacturer. Now they have an official cheese supplier to the American Le Mans series. Cheese <laughs> and handy, isn't it? A little bit of a little bit of uh, delving 
thanks to Daily Sports Guard, has shown that there's some interesting comparisons with Monterey Jack Brabham, Flavio Brie, a Tory, Wensdale Earnhardt, and Emmentile Fittipaldi. Well, they have. Oh dear! I know. <laughs> I know. Oh. And they oh. launched it with an enormous cheese in the in the shape of a Panos Esperante. <laughs> It'd be much of the same thing, wouldn't it? Really? <laughs> you've you've got to, Alan. You'll have to give Dominic some crap over that. They go. Oh, I saw you squeaking out of a little hole in the door. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. Pretty oh, funny. Very, very funny. Okay, um, folks, right, before we get on to tech time, JP and I had a bit of a talk about it before, um, but just quickly, I wanted to know about what your thoughts were on the slips in uh, F1 newcomers' virgin um, with their hydraulic problems. Uh, USF1 asking for four races to be missed, and Stefan Grand Prix going, hey, we can't get we can't get a start because Bridgestone won't give us tyres. They don't have any GP2 rubber, and it's all a bit too um, it's all a bit too uh, too weird. Well, no surprise that USF1 um, is struggling. We've been we've talked about that before, and the writing has been very much on the wall. And they're now saying that they won't make the first four races at least, and they're asking for a dis- dispensation. Um, I don't know, they've got big problems and uh, whether we ever see them this year is a big question mark over that one. Um, Campos Meta, well, they've had to uh, um, get one of their investors to up their stakes, so there's a whole new management. Um, still remains to be seen whether they make the first race, much less the first few races. Um, you know, Lotus to have... What's going down with the chopsticks? There's chopsticks. Alan, are you there? I'm here, yes. Uh, there's, there's chopsticks going on in Bahrain. Or is that <laughs> I don't know. There's no noise. Folks, it's from your end. You dropped totally away again, then. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? They spend billions in infrastructure and you can't even get a decent um, internet connection. JP, how you doing? Uh, Have you lost JP. me again? It's Johnny, and you're on episode radio of Radio Hot Lap 147. Guess what, boys? We've got Marcus Lukanovic on the phone as well now. We've got Fogues in Bahrain and Alan in Denmark, and, and here's Marcus. <laughs> G'day, viewers. Not the uh, expected answer of phone that I was looking for, but anyway, we'll go with it. <laughs> as you would. Except Alan and uh, Alan and Fogues can't really hear you. But Can you guys mind. hear uh, Al? Uh, no, we can't. No, we can't. Anyway, say hello. Say hello. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. we'll say hi to it. Alan. Okay. We'll, we'll ring, ring me next year when the bath is 12 we'll hours ring you on. back, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Hello. Uh, <laughs> right, we'll ring you back oh, in a minute. Right, we're going to roll the show into a bit of a close. 53 minutes in. It's time for tech time. Who wants to be part? Al, do you want to hang around for tech time or you got to fuck off? <laughs> Have you got to fuck off? <laughs> Have you got lean lean pork to go and cook? Good night, viewers. Everybody's gone now. Good night, viewers. That's what you're meant to say, Alan. Right. Oh, we dump him. Al, you're out.
Right, that's it. Cancel out. Folks, are you still oh, there? There's been an outage. Zakanovic. They both dropped no out. Zakanovic from though, afar. Eh? Folks, he's back. Vogue from afar. Are you back? No. Viewers, we do have some technical difficulties tonight with the net dropping out. Well, that's the point. It's tech time, isn't it? Well, it must be tech time then. No, connection's lost to folks. And interestingly, your airport looks like it's dropped right out. Is that right? Yeah, your bars are all gone. I've lost my bars. You have. What's that mean? That's very weird. Yeah, you're back again. Okay. Well, yeah, it's part of the deal. Oh, well. Oh, we're getting back. Uh, Get them back. That's part of the deal, you know. We don't need it. Alan will be going, well, what did you do? The folks is probably thinking. Oh, actually, I'll get some conference call here. Yeah, conference call. Where's the conference call? Start conference call with the... You're going to get it back to the conference call? I'll get Lars on. <laughs> Lars? Maybe Lars is on. Uh, we don't get sand, so it's an eel top forever. Uh, and Lars and Okay, viewers, we're going for extra interesting stuff. We might get large. We'll never get enough bandwidth to do all four simultaneously. Yes, you will. You bloody won't. Okay, fine. We're back and we'll try again. Yeah, yeah. Well, we Good idea, it. We folks. Why running. not? Right, the viewers can just hang around and wait for it. Anyway, we're ringing others, but they'll, they'll get here. Um, I think it's tech time, isn't it? Okay, JP, you want to do it? No, you can do it, Johnny. Mate, mate I've, got, I've got lots of tech time. Well, that's all right. Well, that's good, because I've got bugger all. Here we are. Here we are. Where is it? Where is it? Have you got any tech time over there, Pop? Oh! What's happening now? It's Simon. He's ringing us. Snail. He's back. Who's trying to ring us? It's Simonson. He's in his shoebox. Digging himself out of the snow, apparently. Hello. Uh, oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. Are, are, you, are, you, are you in the snow? Spin. Oh, good. No. Goodbye. All right. Um, has gone. There seems to be a um, uh, huge upsurge in application development platforms uh, in the last couple of weeks with Samsung specifically launching a platform called Badar, which we will play the sound thereof. We, we, yeah, we, we will. We, 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 we what, can we do that and folks can hear it? Yeah, yeah we can do it. Oh, no, what? We sort of can hear it. We'll but, wait um, and see. A, uh, an open source platform, well, maybe it's not, uh, that allows people to, who develop uh, applications to deploy them on all sorts of Samsung, Samsung devices, but I am a bit, uh, a bit of this is a little bit too, too little, too late, 
Which so, is what we discussed on the way back from Melbourne the other day. Yes, the very much so. With all these other developers. A lot of people are saying badder, bada, badder, badder. Why would you say it was? Well, it just it's like bada, 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 bada. <laughs> That's from the website, folks. Yes, uh, bada. It's a uh, uh, a trustworthy. It actually is der- derived from a. Uh, uh, a word that represents ocean and sea. And you know, when, you know when so they start like doing that sort of stuff, you start getting worried about whether there's any real value in it. Well, especially when one of the complaints about the early iPhones was that it sounded like you were talking underwater. Why would you associate something with ocean and sea? Is that going to make it sound like you're underwater? Well, well, well I don't know. Firstly, there's a lot of watery sort of um, concept going on there, and. Um, you know, almost you'd think they'd done a deal with Larry Ellison. <laughs> you know, with all the seafaring sort of boats there. So I'm not quite sure what's going on. But essentially, uh, what uh, Samsung is doing is trying to provide a platform for developers to be able to provide application support uh, to uh, social networking tools like Twitter and Facebook and to. Uh, allow those Samsung Samsung apps to be deployed on their latest or seventh, eighth generation of TV, because that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're creating very, very thin TV panels. So we're getting this merger that we knew was coming, where your home entertainment system hooks up with the internet. What are you seeing in, over in there, folks, in terms of, um, you know, uh, technology? I haven't been taking a lot of notice, but normal stuff, to be honest, you know, every hotel room at least has got a widescreen, a flat screen TV in it, but um, I would imagine some of the developments in IT are racing ahead here much as everywhere else, maybe slightly behind, probably in some cases slightly ahead, you know, it does vary across the world, doesn't it? I mean, like South Korea is way ahead of the rest of the world in terms of um, broadband, um, uh, well, band to sheer bandwidth and speeds, and um, but beyond that, no. But um, as we've discovered, you can get an internet connection. It's just not the most stable all the time. This new Samsung platform that you're talking about, um, what's it for? Why do we need another one? Well, I don't think specifically we do, but everyone's playing catch up with the Apple ecosystem, so they're rapidly trying to deploy uh, their own. Yeah, um, their, yeah. own, their own app solution or app store solution a little bit it's a little it's, it's, it's a little too, too much too little too late oh, wow, too much too little yeah. too late basically yeah they, they've just decided that well hey we're, we're lagging way behind here Apple's got the jump on all of us and they've worked out now that you know I heard a um, an, uh, somebody talking on a radio interview uh, last week, late last week, saying that, you know, this guy said, well, I've got an iPhone and I've now got something like 230 apps on that iPhone that I use maybe 20% of on a regular basis. If I want to change phones now, I'm screwed because I've got to throw them all away. So Apple have really locked me in nicely. So I think suddenly the rest of the world and the rest of the phone manufacturers, etc., etc., have suddenly worked out that... Wow, this is if we can develop these apps and lock people into them on our platform, then we've we've basically got them stuck with our platform. So um, I think that's really the, the the thrust of it all, and they're all trying to play catch up with Apple. 
maybe too late, I think, between Apple and Google, I, I would have thought they've got the market locked up. And, well, it, that's the way it appears, and that's obviously yeah. what the rest of the world doesn't like. Uh-huh. Absolutely. But, um, folks, you know, all that motor racing, all that technology, it pales into insignificance and respect to what has actually been consumed uh, from a uh, culinary perspective. What's, the, what's it been like in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi this week? Has there been anything more than couscous? Sorry to disappoint you, but um, it's been pretty much standard Western fare. It's one of the hazards of going on the road with the whole the eight fraternity or for that matter you know the formula one circus you hang out in international style hotels and eat pretty much the same as what you eat at home to really get the flavor to sample the local cuisine you've got to go out into the you know into where the local people eat and uh, i haven't had a chance to do that yet i may do in bahrain it's a bit more accessible but um no no sheep size or anything like that yet well, is that something that's not encouraged? I mean, wouldn't it, it? It would. You know, it's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, if you go to Fiji and you, you sort of, even if it's local to us, you, you're not sure whether you're eating real food or it's all just customised for the for for, for 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 tourism. But but it would be fun, wouldn't it, to be able to sort of travel a bit of a culinary trail? Perhaps, folks, a new venture for you at each race event. Folks, culinary travels. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just your man for that, aren't I? Absolutely, folks. Well, I, 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 okay, all right. Folks's bottle shop travels. Yes, that might be better. No, I mean, the, the problem with a lot of these things is like being at Abu Dhabi. We're actually quite a way out of Abu Dhabi city itself. We're out on Yas Island and near the Yas Marina circuit complex. There's a group of hotels that were within walking distance of the track so we all stay there and there's nothing else around there it's like you know Docklands in Melbourne was you know you know in the early stages that you know lots of buildings and lots lots of construction going on and hotels in there but actually nowhere to go um that's changed of course in Docklands but it's in the early stages this whole development is being developed as a big tourism and leisure destination um, so we're locked pretty much in there because there was nothing else around it, you know, not even so much as a 7-Eleven um, where I'm staying in Bahrain, which is near the city, not far from the diplomatic quarter. Um, it's a bit isolated itself. I can walk up the road probably 10 or 15 minutes and I can go to a local shop or, or some, a little bit further, some local restaurants. In fact, the first time I ever came to Bahrain for the inaugural um, Bahrain Grand Prix, I did one night you know, go to a, a local restaurant, you know, um, off the beaten track. And it was it was interesting, you know, all the sort of different local um, dishes and all that we sampled, some of which were a bit hard to stomach for me. Um, but it was an interesting, yeah, um, an interesting exercise. And, it, you know, it certainly wasn't all bad. And it's, it's a good thing to do, but just sometimes it's, um, it's not practical. Bit of a James Bond movie, eh? <laughs> Well, you only eat twice. <laughs> yeah, very good, folks. Oh, actually, it's. Uh, I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of chilled monkey's brains, but then I realised it was an Indiana, well, Jones, Indiana Jones. That's right. Yeah. 
Alright, mate. Very good. Well, don't get locked in the cave. And um, no, where, where did we get on the VAs? Did I, before the line dropped out, did I get through my summa, you know, summation, if you like, of winners and losers? Did, are you interested or are you bored now? No, 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 well, we're at interested. An hour, at an hour six, you may need to make it very quick. So quick, folks, okay, well, and losers of Abu Dhabi opening round 2001 of the V8 Supercar Championship. Off you go. Obviously, obviously big winners. Team Vodafone. Biggest loser of all time, Holden Racing Team. A good week. Change, and they even had the big boss of Ford Australia, Marin Varela, out there waving the flag, so they're taking more interest. There was some very good performances by some um, not unlikely but unexpected people. Jonathan Webb, the reigning Fujitsu Series champion, did a really, really excellent job in the third Dick Johnson racing car. Dick Johnson, the team itself, they're second in the team's points now. They had a solid outing. Paul Dumbrell, very racy in the third FPR run. And, uh, I agree with you with that. Paul Dumbrell did a great team. job. He, did. Um, he, was, he was consistent for a change. That's something he's never had. 100%. He's always had speed. Yeah. A bit dis- um, another loser or a disappointment anyway was Brad Jones Racing. I think they've discovered running three cars. They've just taken on a little too much. Jason Wright was initially fast. He's got speed in that car, but they need to tune it up a bit more. And um, what was with the, Mark what was, Winterbottom. What was with the clutch start there? For, it was on race one. He sat there. Yeah, the... Uh, few people had start line problems and apparently that was down to the fact that they're running a tall diff um, over here or they were the tallest diff available of the two or three they're allowed to run uh, at Gas Marina and also the track the track surface extremely grippy um, one of the reasons that the racing wasn't sensational um, over the weekend in terms of you know there was incidents and accidents but you know it wasn't really close racing is that um, while the cars had a lot of grip um, there are a lot of off-camber corners, and these V8s just don't like off-camber corners. They're a real struggle. Um, so even though there was plenty of grip, most cars were struggling for rear-end uh, traction, and, um, and that very nature of the circuit, a typical Formula 1 circuit, the V8s don't like that. It should be better at Bahrain because the track is even even wider there, and a lot of the corners are actually, well, they're, they're almost slightly banked, so you can actually dig the cars in a bit more and... Um, um, have have a lot closer racing, you know, three, sometimes even four wide through some of the big turns. So um, there we go. Mark Winterbottom was another winner too, just to wrap things up at Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, strong FPR, at least signalling um, that they've got speed. They just need to work on getting it over a race distance. So we'll see some... Uh, I think we'll see some new uh, people coming into the fray in Bahrain, um, but it'll be pretty exciting by the time we get back to Adelaide, and that'll be a whole new ball game again because uh, they'll be leaving, you know, smooth, wide-open tracks uh, for a, one that's a lot more traditional, bumpier, more confined street track. Bahrain, by the way, is the complete opposite um, to have the Gas Marina circuit in that. It's got a very low-grip surface, so um, that will test the tuning abilities of some of the teams. So there we go. Well, folks, I must cut you off there because you start to kill me 
and everyone else. <laughs> uh, but mate, no, nice love, wrap up, folks. We, yeah, no, we love you, but we also we do need to shut down because we're about uh, one minute, uh, one hour ten, and uh, we certainly get past the point of people listening this um but look forward to you being back in the country joining us in two weeks time here on the eve of clipsal 500 next week international paulie will be down here uh the uh, pr director for the uh patron uh lmp or lmp2 team this year with uh, david brabham uh Mario Franchitti and uh, uh, Simon Pagliacchini that will be uh, driving that car this year. Interesting stories that will be coming from him about why they have travelled from the LMP1 chassis down to the LMP2 having won the American Le Mans series next year and the chassis that they will be campaigning at the 24 hour of Le Mans where you and I will be no doubt enjoying cut the berf <laughs> wait to see a son uh, JP <laughs> yes au revoir <laughs> so much to look forward to Absolutely. so much as they say good night au revoir <laughs> See you, folks. See you fucking late. Okay. Good night, viewers. Good night, viewers. Cheers, folks. Thanks for your time, folks. And to Alan, too, who's no longer present with us due to internet connections. Thank you, and good night. Get a Mac.